Hey everybody, this is Zach. Hey, this is not Zach. <laughs> Hi, not Zach. Um, and uh, yeah, today we're going to be talking about uh, PG Psycho Gorman, um, which I don't know why they have that abbreviation at the beginning. I I, I think it it's to lean into the the like nineties um, tasticness of it when they they write it out on the the box cover for the DVD. Yeah. Yeah, the 90s tacitness, I think it's also like tongue in cheek because you have these um these child stars yeah. who are obviously like below the PG-13 rating. Yeah. But what occurs in the film uh <laughs> is like well above what you would have in like an 80s or 90s movie for like a PG rating. So, it's so I think good. it's tongue in cheek. Yeah. It's so good. Um but first uh we'll talk about some of the things we've been doing over the past couple of weeks um did you want to go first this time or did you want me to uh yeah sure i have been preparing for moving um Ooh. and so we're gonna get some boxes later today pack up some stuff in boxes easily um i have guitars and stuff like that that we talked about maybe renting a truck so that we can prepare for that beforehand and then moving it to, you know, my mom's house in like a spare room or something because she lives close to where we're moving. But instead, I think we're just going to rent a truck on the day and put the delicate stuff that I don't really want mm. to have movers move. Now, I have met several moving crews because I've, we've moved like every year or every couple years sure. uh, pretty consistently for like the past 10 years 10 11 years or so i'd say might even be 12 or 13 years at that point um so a lot of them are actually really great and uh, they're very professional and you don't have any issue with them moving and etc it's mostly just the idea of like a guitar that my wife bought me like sitting in the back of a moving truck in its case like maybe something shifting like a you know a dresser falls over on top of the case and then up you know it's the case tried its best but it wasn't going to keep that it yeah from being destroyed so it's mostly that i don't really have an issue with their handling of it because i'm going to be here and oh sure it's not like they're throwing it in the back of the uh you know the truck this isn't like a ups delivery truck situation um right. So uh, that's one thing. And then consolidating my stuff and been doing a bunch of job interviews, which are lame, but also awesome. Because <laughs> um, you're trying to prep for a new opportunity and communicate about your skill set and whatnot. So that's good. I got uh, a job offer a couple days ago. Um, took a day or two to percolate on it and wait for other opportunities to come in and then i went ahead and took that one up so that's good you know got a uh a baby on the way so it's nice to have new opportunities maybe some better work-life balance and uh you know pay. scaffolding in scaffolding in place to kind of keep all yeah that yeah I was, together. <laughs> I was telling uh zach you know from not zach to zach uh that uh <laughs> I'm just, I'm just gonna keep with that that um the pay bump that i got is just basically gonna pay for a daycare and like child services that's yeah. so it's nice it's nice <laughs> i get to finally join uh this crew of 
someone who voluntarily did something and then gets to complain about this voluntary thing that they did the rest of their lives. <laughs> uh, oh, it's I, like I, you're living on a sitcom if you start doing that. Yeah, I think I think I find this thought more humorous than like actually feeling engaged with it. It's kind yeah. of like dudes who only had a kid in their early 20s because the woman they're with like really, really wanted one. Right. So they just like begrudgingly said yes to the the procreation act and then um you know, raising the child later. <laughs> but it's just like a burden for them their whole lives. Or at least that's how they they seem to communicate it. Yeah, uh, I've externally. had I've definitely had coworkers that were like ten ish years older than me that are just like uh gotta go home to the wife and the kids uh and it's like you you realize you were complicit in those choices like you were complicit in staying in those choices as well yeah you know you either gotta embrace them or you you don't like being yeah like being in a domestic partnership is an act that you you know you have to either re-embrace every day so you can like make the best of it and like grow with this person and enjoy your time with them or you just bitch and moan about it consistently um (laughs) and you probably make everybody else's life miserable in that way oh yeah you know (laughs) (laughs) you think it's great to be with someone who's like oh being married sucks. <laughs> I had a guy that I worked with that this was right when, right at the, the like turning point of when smartphones were first a thing. And you could uh-huh. like select different ringers mm-hmm. for, um, for different callers. And the ringtone for his wife, when she tried calling him at work was mm-hmm. this klaxon alarm interspersed with bitch alert bitch alert do you do you change it every day to that so that you can be funny or do you just like not care if she hears like i mean i guess if you're with her why would she be trying to call you but like man that is another level of like just get a divorce dude it's fine (laughs) i understand that you're like 70 and you're it's scary to be alone but like like you said make the best of it or shut the fuck up yeah, I mean, if you're gonna do this, like, make the best of it. She's got to deal with your bullshit too. So, yeah. oh man, I just don't get it. So, I find it, you know, more um, ironically embracing that that concept, uh, even yeah. though you know I'm very very excited, uh, enthused about the whole process, and um, yeah, looking forward to sleepless nights and but figuring out a process in that regard you know you know getting a kind of schedule set up and all that stuff that is involved i know that um current way of life is very different and things become a different priority but i also know people that have had kids in especially one one kid since we have just one you know at the moment we're not popping out triplets um (laughs) Who seem to live a pretty um, productive life with passions and things that they're interested in doing, like with one child. Um, yeah. Like because it's less, it's less of like a, a merry-go-round of like different differing needs popping up all the time. Like you have yeah. a relationship with your one kid, and 
you know, we haven't really talked about whether we want to go beyond that. We'll kind of just see how we handle handle the one, right. and then figure out. Okay, is it is it better to have potentially a built-in empathy opportunity by this person having a sibling, or do we just want to go the route of making sure they don't become a shitty person as an only child? Because I, I have met some only child adults who are very well. They're high functioning, you know. They're communicative, etc. Um, I have met some only, children, especially boys, for some reason, young young men who like have an yeah. only child situation. Yeah, and I don't know if it's because all their needs are, like are consistently met in that relationship, hmm. so they don't really get used to being more empathetic with like having siblings, or especially yeah. like a sibling of the opposite gender. So. Um, and that probably has more to do with their raising than the fact that they're an only child or not. But I have met some who are like, I get the impression that like the adjustment of the world not rotating around them is a little bit difficult for them to come to terms with. But <laughs> that's that's probably a ca- more a case of the small sample size of my personal experience rather than an actual like generalization that's applicable. Right. So, but okay. Well, I mean, you know, I've I've heard that yeah, only children have have a much more um difficult time connecting with people mm-hmm. <laughs> um, as well, but yeah. I don't know, I have a brother, so. Yeah. <laughs> you certainly fight it out a lot uh if if you've got uh <laughs> a sibling yeah. and you both have the same interests. Yeah. And then you have to uh you have to figure out how to negotiate. Oh man, I hit him in the face. Uh, I'm sorry about that. I mean I didn't mean to I meant to throw that at you, but I didn't mean for it to hit you in the eye that hard. So let me tell you, there is no and you have siblings, so I'm sure you know this feeling, but when you're having a spat, there uh-huh. is nothing more terrifying with your younger siblings. Uh uh-huh. That that like very silent period when you've hit them or you've thrown something and it's hit them and you didn't expect it to hit them, where yeah. they're just quiet. Yeah, and it's like, don't tell mom. <laughs> <laughs> you try to intercept that mom. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, me it's was, terrifying. Me was intercepting the crying. I think I was. I was swinging around one of those uh, foam bats that had foam in it, but it was, has like a strong plastic core that still yeah. has heft in it. So yeah. it's meant to like, you hit like a T-ball, but if you sure. throw this at someone, like, and it hits them, it's going to hurt because it's still like a it's weighty thing. solid, yeah. It's solid plastic um, core. Um, like you could probably beat a small watermelon to death with it, you know, if you were really enthusiastic about it. <laughs> Um, you know, inefficiently, um, wanted to lampoon it. And, um, yeah, I was like swinging it around and stuff. And then it slipped out of my hand thing. I think my sister was standing behind the couch and it just like hit her in the eye. And I was like, "Ah." (laughs) you know, like that one, that one's free. That's like on me. I wasn't even trying to throw this at you. Um, I was just goofing around with some of my other cousins. Um, so yeah, I definitely know that feeling and having to negotiate, understand the consequences of your actions, negotiate someone else's feelings, communicate that. So I think it, it has a lot of value in that regard. I'm sure there's other ways to get that. 
maybe that require play dates or et cetera, yeah. um, things of that nature. So, yeah, you're Let's you're see. lucky in that that you. Well, I mean, you may feel differently, but um, and in, in my opinion, you're lucky in that you you have cousins that are similarly aged. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. My um, like on my mom's side. Like, oh, granted, we have a very small family because most of it is not here in the U.S. But, mm. um, you know, on my mom's side, her sister is eight years older than her. And so my cousin is 10 years older than me, mm. which isn't a huge gap now. But like growing up, it was just like, you know, oh, you're an adult. <laughs> right. Uh, and then on my dad's I was, side, I was really, really hoping that you were going to use math that didn't make sense that would cause someone else to like re-review to be like, <laughs> oh, so my mom's sister's eight years older than her. So I have a cousin that's like 30 years older than me. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just being like, what? So weird. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? But you, just kept, you know, you would just brush by it. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, but, but then on my, uh, on my dad's side, um, you know, with, with my grandmother being the, um, the oldest sibling of her generation, uh, in mm -hmm. Japan, all of my cousins there are much younger than me. Mm -hmm. uh, they're, they're, they're either, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're much younger than me, um, to the point that I think one of them just now graduated high school. Um, which is very strange, <laughs> but yeah, no, like I'm, I'm, my brother and I are caught in the, the, a gap where it's like, yeah, we don't have any really similarly aged cousins. Um, yeah. and also the, on my mom's side, her, I forget cause he's been dead for years now, but, um, her brother is 16 years older than her. Mm -hmm. And so his kids are even older, like, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> his his kids are in their sixties at this point. Yeah, because mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> they're only a few years older than my mom. <laughs> it gets weird with uh, extended families and stuff. I have uncles yeah. that are cousins that I called uncles because they're older than my mom is. Yeah, because my mom is the youngest of like eight or nine. So. Yeah. <laughs> So I have cousins who already, you know, had kids when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, so it, I do have a ton that are close in age, but I also have some on the other range just because my mom was the youngest. And so was right. my dad. Yeah. Well, just weird. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's my thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, well, so uh, not anticipating a new job or moving or having children, um, I consumed media. Um, I'm just a, a little dragon. I, I sit and I consume things and Adobe go away. I do not have flash on my computer. I know. Stop searching for it. Um, so the, uh, which, I mean, these should all be fairly quick to go through. Um, we're we're so, like a dragon. You're like a, like a dragon, like smog <laughs> who has like a mountain of media underneath him. And that mountain <laughs> is that your queue, like your queue of things. I remember Zach talking about back in the day, right when Netflix came out, <laughs> that he had reached the maximum limit for his DVD queue, and he was frustrated <laughs> that he couldn't add more things to his queue of media to consume. And then when they added streaming, that he had like reached the ability to like add more 
to his queue on the streaming. This is when I think when they first came out with it. And right. so he was frustrated that he couldn't get more of the gold for his smog pile, like set up in time. So yeah. Fun well, stuff. also the digital has a limit and it's 500. Ask me how I know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Although with the pandemic, I, I don't want to make light of anyone who got, who was affected by the pandemic, but with everything being shut down, um, I was looking the other day and I only have 104 things left in my queue to watch. <laughs> so I was able to cut through a, a good plenty of it. Hashtag um, goals. Hashtag goals. Hashtag goals. <laughs> yeah. Let's, when's, when's the next uh, terrible pandemic around the road? Uh, <laughs> um, speaking of the end of the world, though, I read a comic book from DC's Black Label. Do, are, are you familiar with their Black Label? Yeah. Yeah. Some cool stuff has come out of it. <laughs> yeah yeah they're they're for anyone that's unaware they're the the r-rated versions of their their comic book characters so like I've, i think in the past i've talked about um damned which is a batman story um i've talked about harleen which is a fantastically illustrated um story um your camera is moving up and down are you doing that Um, you may have muted yourself and also, uh, oh, you were raising your hand. That's why it was jiggling. Ah. I was not raising my hand. I don't know how to do that. I think I was unmuting myself and I think I clicked the, uh, the hand raise thing instead of the unmute. Oh, gotcha. I was just looking at my notes and then I saw your, your, your thing bouncing and flashing and I was like, what is, what is going on? I've never it seen works. That feature works to get your attention. <laughs> Success. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So, so the, uh, the black label comics are, are kind of the, the four adults comics that are not porn, um, that DC puts out. Um, this one is honestly, I've never been a huge Wonder Woman fan. Um, but it's, uh, it's by Daniel Warren Johnson, um, Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, which is really, I, I love all of the, uh, post-apocalyptic comic lines where it's like mm-hmm. superheroes in a fucked up place that they caused. <laughs> it yeah. probably goes back to my love of like Watchmen. Um, yeah. it's not nearly so deep as Watchmen, um, I don't want to spoil it for anyone because it's, it's a very thin volume. Like it's probably only about a hundred pages, but it's gorgeous. Um, The, this guy, and I would expect it to be that short just because this guy, I think also did the art for it. Um, And usually people like that are not, they don't have these gigantic epics. And if they do, it's like um, mouse guard where you get a volume of that every like 18 months (laughs) or it's like the guy that does battle chasers and it's like yeah (laughs) i lived that don't make light of that i'm not making light of i I saw the trauma all come flooding back to your eyes as i said that i was like oh i shouldn't have brought that up (laughs) joe madeira you bastard you deliciously illustrating bastard um but yeah no i i think that there's a uh when when the author is also the artist um i need to inter i need to interject a whole new me 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 time so i can regurgitate my <laughs> okay, trauma we can, we can, 
<laughs> Talk about trauma. Um, but yeah, no, the, the, when, when the author is the artist, um, I, I really like those works because they tend to get across exactly what the artist is trying to get across. Like, there's a lot of problems with how some of the DC lines are and why you see a lot of writing teams form, like Scott Snyder and Greg Capullo. They, they tend to know how each other works. Whereas, mm-hmm. like, there's a lot of art variance level in some of the other smaller lines if you read them. And I think 100% of it is not that the artist is bad, but the artist gets the script and they're going through the script for what they have to illustrate. And they're like, how do, um, how do I fit this? Because the author, unless you're someone who is a well-known longtime comics person, like an Alan Moore or a Warren Ellis, um, you may not be willing to give that creative freedom to the artist to just be like, illustrate some stuff here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Or your description might not fit. It might be like, yeah, we're going to have three panels on this one page. And then the fourth panel is going to be only text. And the three panels are all going to be interlinked. And it's like, well, how do, what, what am I, (laughs) what size? You're not giving me sizes. You're not giving me. (laughs) Um, I would be really curious. I I, I know when um, Walking Dead, um, uh, did like a like an anniversary release they put out the script to the first issue and man scripts for um comic books are wildly different than any other script i've ever had to read um most of them read like technical manuals right Mm -hmm. like you have to have um like you have to know what you're looking for the first time you're reading one to be like okay all right i can follow i can kind of picture this in my head how they're describing it (laughs) um but for something like this i would love to see the script or if they're like how solid a script there was because you know if you're doing the art yourself maybe you just have yeah i want these words to be in these panels and then i'll i'll fuck with it and make it make it all work Mm um that's got to be a really difficult job from an artist's perspective like you have to you have to interpret which i mean any kind of artist, you know, if they're just solo, you know, they're interpreting maybe like their own head canon or like head narrative for a story and splashing yeah. it on the page, but then having to interpret someone else's storyline indication, really storyboarding it out, but doing it in like a really dynamic way and then getting that finished. And if you're like in a traditional schedule, like in a month to month kind of way, uh, that's just, that's gotta be an immense lift from an artistic perspective. Oh, yeah. I, and well, and I mean, it's it's why, like, when you see, um, well, like, like I've said before, like, like, uh, you, you see these partnerships form where, like, you know, Saga is Brian K. Vaughn and Fiona Staples. And, like, I've heard her speak in interviews um, for different things, like commenting on her relationship with Vaughn for for Saga is that, like, they've met in person a few times, but like they just, for whatever reason, creatively gel. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, and a lot of it is because he, Brian K. Vaughn is established enough. He's like a Warren Ellis who can be like, do what you want. Like, this is how I'm picturing this person. If you have a better way of illustrating this, go for it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't care. 
Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to trust the artist to do what the artist is going to do. Or like, you know, Frank Miller is another one, even though I know he's, he's kind of a piece of shit is that when he writes, I would imagine he would be a good writer for artists because he is also an artist. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, I, anyway, I had a great time reading wonder woman dead earth. I don't want to spoil it for anyone. Cause it, yeah, I think it just came out. Um, but it, if you like really dark, fucked up, post-apocalyptic things and also superhero things, this is great. Um, this is kind of what I want Wonder Woman 3 to be. <laughs> oh, wow. You, I, don't know, uh... I don't know how they're going to move forward with that series. Um, just because yeah. we've discussed it. A 84 is bad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, and it's it's... It's disappointing. Well, I think it's a little bit sad just when I feel like everyone is in your corner because from like a, a nerd perspective, like a fan film perspective, like everyone was in that movie's corner to come out. Like yeah. everyone was like, wanted you to win. Um, oh, yeah. And maybe in some respects, people, there's groups of people that still enjoyed it and that's fine. You know, um, I'm not the kind of, um, uh, ingester or consumer that needs my own opinions about something validated like if you yeah. really enjoyed that that's great if there's reasons why you enjoyed it that's great um I, i'll just speak from i really wanted to enjoy it and i didn't and so I'm a little sad about that yeah i i don't know what happened with that one because like <laughs> they they started in such a good place with the first one like it it made me go oh well dc is can actually do something good that's enjoyable and actually fits together like a movie should like mechanically yeah. how it should um 84 it seems like they didn't complete the script all the way yeah. <laughs> um like that they just had placeholder scenes and they're like well nope it's time to shoot it so can't work on it sorry We've yeah. locked it in. Yeah, there um, could be a lot of reasons. I'm sure there's podcasts. The pandemic probably did not. Help. Yeah. 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 So. Because, well, that was still in production, I think. I think so. Yeah. When the, when the pandemic hit. So, yeah, like there's there's a variety of reasons. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, no, I, I think taking it back to something dark and gritty would, would actually work. So I want I want... To, to see you do the pitch in front of the Warner Brothers execs. <laughs> I want to see this pitch. The thing is, though, I don't want to see it. It wouldn't be a half-ass pitch. It would be, like, really well-researched. You'd come in with, like, a set of documents, like a stack of paper. You'd come in with charts, fan reception. Like, you'd have a, a video that you're going to play. Like, okay, here, I pitched this movie to 30 random woman wonder woman fans across all demographics and here's their responses you know here's my pitch actually you'd probably start it off here's all the responses to my pitch <laughs> get all the good ones out of there right <laughs> then give them the pitch to be like okay whatever shitty opinion you have this is what the fans actually think yeah. so just hold on to your shitty opinion and make it in line <laughs> with these because uh, that also could have played a part in it you know you hear about something's a success Everybody yeah. wants it to be 10 times the success. And so everybody sticks their hand in the soup, you know, and then it just starts tasting like hands. Nobody wants hand soup. Okay. 
Get yeah. your damn hand out of the soup. We just want soup. Get your fingers out of it. Um, <laughs> but I'd love to see you up there pitching this concept of post-apocalyptic Wonder Woman. <laughs> and just like, it would be a great pitch, right? It'd be a great pitch. And then just watching like, <laughs> watching as the little bit of souls that are still left in the WB execs like climb to the surface and then retract back. Yeah. Because they're like, oh yeah, what? no, we can't do that. <laughs> Yeah, well, oh, man, to make movies, to be able to make movies in the '80s would have been fantastic. Do you have you heard the story of how James Cameron um made the sequel to Aliens? His, no. his pitch session. Um, he he had a meeting with three Fox execs, and it was a 15 minute meeting. Um, what he did is he had a whiteboard wheeled into the office, and he wrote "Alien" on the whiteboard, and turned uh-huh. around and said, "Here is my idea." He turned back around and he added an S to it. <laughs> he turned back around and he goes, now what this will do. And then he drew a line through the S. So it looked like a dollar sign <laughs> and they signed off on it. It was a 15 fucking minute meeting and he signed off on him doing that bullshit <laughs> to be a white man in Hollywood in the eighties. <laughs> Uh, that's really effective communication, though. You hit them right where they're like, oh, you want more of them, and it'll and make it more make money. money? <laughs> I can get out of here and just do that line of cocaine I left on the toilet. <laughs> All right, I'm, this is great. I thought I was going to have to wait for that or someone else was going to get to it before I did. No, 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 no. Here's, here's my pitch for Wonder Woman, right? Mm-hmm. Wonder Woman with an S <laughs> dollar sign. Yeah. Multiverses. Everything you've done is canon now. Batman 89 can come back. Yeah. Money, 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 money. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Oh, it's great. I don't care how many times I spiked in that. I'm not editing a bit of that. <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Um Yeah, it's so yeah, go out and read Daniel Warren Johnson's Wonder Woman Dead Earth. Um, give Black Label some love too. I don't know how well they sell. Um, I know they put out one for Rorschach because they're like just embracing Watchmen now that they've killed Vertigo. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've they've put out like The Adventures of Tom Strange, I think, which is a weird choice because that's an old comic. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, no, like they they do some weird, wacky things with it, and I don't know if it gets as much attention as it should. Um, mm-hmm. The uh, the other thing that I went through is I read Quentin Tarantino's first novel called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Really? Yeah, yeah. It's so. Mm. That's a novel. The only yeah. So the only reason that I picked it up is because <clears throat> it it looks like. Uh, Like, if you look at the cover of it, it looks like the types of shitty, um, like, novelizations of movies you would find in the, like, the office supply section of, like, Mm -hmm. a Kmart, along with those, like, Golden Eagle books. Yeah, great. Um, Great reads for when you're waiting for your mom to do, like, her clothes shopping with your sisters. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and they're getting groceries or whatnot. And and yeah, you're just following along and you're reading and it's like I'm watching a movie in my head. You're like, but, I'm going to read this whole fucking thing before I exit this place so I don't have to pay for it. You, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's set up with pictures from the movie on the cover, right? Yeah. But then I was reading him talking about it and because I was just like, why did you do? Did you just novelize your your screenplay? And mm-hmm. I was looking and it's so it's 400 pages. How many and, pages are just like feet in the depiction of the feet? Like, <laughs> not as many as you'd think, but more than you'd expect. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so the wild thing about it to me is that, have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah, it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun so, so I wouldn't, like, it's, it's called a novelization. There's a line on, like, page 60 that summarizes the climax and events of that movie. Mm-hmm. And then all of the rest of it <laughs> is um, covering, uh, what is his name, Cliff's um, role as a ringer. And... Mm-hmm sharing the stories about how he was hired as a ringer and people that don't know um, old Hollywood um, directors were even more assholes. Um, Actors were even more assholes because you didn't have social media. Um, And so typically stunt coordinators would have a guy called a ringer that they would hire and use on actors that actually hit stuntmen because you were never supposed to hit a stuntman for real. Or stuff mm-hmm. person for real. Um, and they would bring in a ringer whose job was to hit back at the star and make them regret touching stuntmen. <laughs> they'd get fired, but they'd get paid a whole lot of cash under the table. Wow. Um, that's 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 smart. And yeah. Yeah, that's just really smart. That's I love that. Yeah, which I mean a lot of that I think is is to um to kind of downplay the controversy of, of the whole Bruce Lee thing in the movie and kind of make that a little bit more clear because Mm -hmm. like watching it, like I was aware of what they were referencing because Bruce Lee did have a habit of of actually hitting other actors. Um, Yeah. Which I imagine probably comes from the background of like an actual martial artist. Yeah. And not really training to not hit or hold back. So yeah. Right. Um, that's really not made clear at all in the movie like no it just makes him look like a raging asshole um whereas like in the book like it's pretty clear that cliff has like the things that he does in that movie as horrific as they are are nowhere near as horrific as the same things that he he is like it goes into his his backstory as being like a soldier in world war ii Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and and the the horrifying things he did there and the things he does to make ends meet um there's a couple of weird depictions just as a heads up uh, for anyone who's triggered by animal violence um there's a couple of depictions of animal violence in there that's not great um Mm. but no like it's it's wild to me that this book is is pitched as a novelization and it's got like a reference to the movie um, and then the rest of it is is Cliff's background. Um, there's a novelization within the novelization itself that's um, what could I describe it to? It's it's describing um, 
it's describing a show, but it's written in a way like, I don't know if your grandparents read like cowboy Western paperbacks, but like one of those, um, like, like Louis L'Amour type books. There's just like a weird shift in genre <laughs> to get flung into. Um, there's more about Leonardo DiCaprio's character interacting with the uh, the girl and going abroad and, and reinventing himself as a spaghetti Western guy. Um, so yeah, it's, it's not a novelization of that movie. It kind of expands what's going on and kind of makes more clear what's going on if you're unfamiliar of Hollywood in this specific time. Cause like the, the, the movie itself for people that don't know, or is, is set in a time in Hollywood where it was changing from the golden age into the prototype of what we have now. <laughs> mm-hmm. A lot of structures were being torn down and <clears throat> the way movies were made was, was changing. Um, and so there's there's just like everything else in the 60s and 70s, there's a lot of uh, turmoil. Um, and yeah, like I, I think a, a lot of the things like Cliff being a, a ringer that gets brought in isn't really made clear in the movie because most people buying a ticket to go to the movie don't know that that was a practice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, if if you're interested in that movie, I do recommend reading it because it, it gives you some fascinating insights in, into why some of those characters act the way they do, um, yeah. and kind of expands that a little bit more. Yeah, I I do wonder as a creative output if there was so much material because I mentioned he tries to in generally like invest his world as like being within its own having a universe like around it. Yeah. So you you get an idea of okay, where do these characters live? How do they live? Um, you know, what do they do in the places that they live? You kind of generally get a sense of that from his movies. Yeah. Um, which I think that also kind of gets uh deepened and further brought up by like the aesthetic and like yeah. the particular way of characterization and the way he shoots things. Um where you have like actors like central, like in frame, like interactions yeah. that they're doing. So I, I wonder if as, as a creative output, um, cause was this just him writing this book? Yeah. Like, yeah. This okay. is just him. Yeah. yeah. Then I imagine it's like, okay, I had so much that I could have put on screen. We know what ended up on screen, but I still have some other creative material that was generated that I want to provide, yeah. you know, um, and, an opportunity and for. you know, I, I go back and forth, especially with this movie, because I'm I generally like Tarantino, but I'm not like a fanboy. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, This movie is. It's interesting because it's so little actually happens in it. Mm -hmm. Um, Like there 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 are long scenes of like Cliff just driving in his car. And I know like mechanically what, what that's doing is heightening the tension um, and, and kind of putting you in a more slowed down mindset because, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of movies now, like I, I hate to sound like, like a boomer director, but like, you know, there are a lot more quick cuts. Like if you, if you watch movies from that era, 
they seem very slow mm-hmm. <laughs> because there's not a whole lot of cuts. And so it feels like a movie from that era. His attention to detail is really good. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing this as like a mini series. I like, I don't know how well it does as a movie, mm-hmm. um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, like the, the, the book is fantastic. Um, I mean, he's just kind of a, he, he's not like a great, great writer, um, but he's not like terrible or anything. He's, no. um, it's, it seems like a, a novel. Um, it doesn't seem like a novelization. Um, which apparently, like, I, I was watching a, a, an interview he was giving, and <clears throat> he was talking about how, um, which I don't remember this, maybe this was something that they did way before, but mm-hmm. what he was trying to emulate were the novelizations where you would pick them up and they would be based on, like, the first or second draft of a screenplay. Mm-hmm. And because because the, at that point the author is cut out of the process, it it is wildly different than what actually comes out. Like there's whole scenes that would have been cut during, during production that are still in this book because they they were going on, on draft one or draft two of the screenplay. (laughs) Yeah. You'd get that with stories that are like supporting or like based upon the film. And then you see like, they're obviously they're different in a lot of, in a lot of ways. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, yeah, the, the last thing I had is uh, it's no longer on Netflix, I don't think, but it's um, you can find it online. Um, he and by he, I mean, Neil Blomkamp um, has this this um, studio, I guess it's an independent studio that he started called Oats. Mm-hmm. And he puts out these weird little short films on YouTube and in Steam, or on on Steam, rather. And he kind of uses them, he claims, as things that are viable for expansion uh, into, like, a full-on feature. I don't know how many, like, I think one of them... Yeah, okay, so I'm looking at the Oat Studio package now, um... Yeah, like there's a there's a couple that were really really interesting um, that I saw that you know like had Sigourney Weaver in them, and then there are these smaller ones that are just like five or ten minutes, and it's like I don't know, man. Like that seems like a really tight story. I don't know how you're gonna blow that up into two hours or an hour and a half, but okay. Um, but they're all very strange. They're all weird, gross sci-fi. Um, it, like it's it's not body horror necessarily i mean i guess district nine technically is body horror but like he has this this uh very unique aesthetic to the way he depicts his sci-fi and it's usually some mix of bio organic slippery slimy wetness mm-hmm. i guess so like be prepared for that if if you don't like anything like that you you were probably not going to like a few of these uh um they did put out a feature um called demonic that was filmed secretly in 2020 during the night the the covid19 pandemic mm-hmm. uh and then put out on vod and prime so it's out there um i haven't seen it it only made about 150 grand. So 
I also don't know how I feel about him making a movie in secret when everything should have been shut down. Like, that just seems kind of reckless to me. <laughs> yeah, that seems like, yeah, I don't want to make concessions. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it seems kind of reckless, especially in South Africa, um, which mm-hmm. is where he was filming. So, uh, let's... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's the best idea. Uh, but 45 minutes into the show, uh, <laughs> uh, I guess I'll say watch the Oat Studio stuff if you like. Um, a lot of it is just kind of middling, like, oh, that's a neat sci-fi short story. Um, and then there's there's a couple in there, like specifically Raka, which has a Sigourney Weaver in it, um, and Zygote, I think, could be expanded into full-on movies. Everything else is just really short and very concentrated and really good as a short film. Um, I don't know why they wouldn't collect these and, like, sell them, but, you know. Um, But, yeah, why don't we uh, start at the 45-minute mark? Right on track. Talking talking about PG, Psycho Gorman. Um, I guess I'll do some prehistory on this. Um, before we get, we get into the main thing. Um, so came out in 2020. Uh, this did come out VOD. Um, it's Rotten Tomato score is 92%. Um, it was supposed to debut at South by Southwest in March of 2020, which sucks. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I can't wait or can't, not can't wait. I, I can't imagine how this would have actually played in, in widespread release. Um, I just, I, I don't know either just because of the tone. Uh, yeah, it's very movie. strange. It would have had to been like, oh, wow, I saw this movie. I didn't know what to expect, but I enjoyed it. So let me tell my friends about it. Like it would have had, to, I feel that kind of organic. Yeah. Kind of yeah. Well, so, so like Shutter picked up the, the distribution rights and put it in VOD and theater simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Um, January last year. Um, and I, it is available on Blu-ray as well. I do not have it because it's fantastically expensive. Um, but it's... Uh, it was like a limited run? Something like that? Yeah, it was a... For the for the special one with like the steel book and all that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Like, I mean, you can get them where they're... It's pretty obvious that they print it on demand, you know? Mm-hmm. Um... But yeah, because of the, the circumstances, um, it only has a box office record of 95000 Um No clue on the budget, but I will say, um, I don't know if you recognize the names uh, involved in the credits. So this was written and directed by Stephen Kostansky. Um, he is part of Astron 6. They made uh, The Void and Manborg. Mm-hmm. Um, he's real good at shooting <clears throat> on a real shoestring budget. Like Manborg is a feature sci-fi post-apocalyptic nuclear nightmare. It looks okay, and it apparently was shot on two thousand dollars Canadian. Wow, that's just impressive. Yeah, like I don't know how you do some of that unless it's like by calling in favors, um, you know, stuff like that. Uh, but that because this is such a new movie, like that's pretty much the only background and trivia 
that I have on it. Uh, so let's start this off with, this is a guar ass movie. <laughs> yeah. The, this movie um, presupposes that guar is real and <laughs> exists in the same, I mean, not real, not literally guar. Um, all of the, so Psycho Gorman is a, intergalactic warlord that was imprisoned in an amulet billions of years ago and was was flung to earth um he the amulet is found because these kids are playing i I forget what they call it it's uh well no no i don't they uh they call it crazy ball it's basically calvin ball in their backyard um where you know they have all these weird rules and made up made up rules and <laughs> Calvin like and Hobbes, huh? yeah okay. yeah like they call it crazy ball but yeah it's it's basically Calvin ball from Calvin and Hobbes um and Mimi uh the little sister uh wins uh the round and makes her brother dig his own grave yep so um, can, we need to talk about the true monster in this movie which is Mimi which is Mimi <laughs> <laughs> I love how that's the reveal that she's the actual monster. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, like he, he, uh, he, her, her brother finds this amulet, picks it up and then they unleash, um, psycho Gorman, um, who, you know, they don't realize that they've released him quite yet. Uh, and so he kills some people who were, breaking and entering at an old person's place maybe killed them i guess yeah yeah he like, mentions they kill him yep. he he does these horrific things like he he um what does he say to the the one guy he freezes it's like live live forever and like yeah. his eyes start flying back in his head yeah. as he's like internally living through years yeah yeah he's living <laughs> he's living in like eternal pain and torment yeah. Um, and so he's like perpetually dead and like suffering the process of dying. Yeah. Because uh, his body is just kind of like a husk of flesh, like that rubbery, like waxy kind of melting that they do. Yeah. And like yeah. practical effects. That's his whole like state of being. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a really hilarious uh, scene uh, early on characterization of Psycho Gorman is when the brother whose name oh no i remember his name it's luke unlike yes psycho luke. Gorman. yep yeah so uh the, there's a pun psycho gorman always consistently forgets luke's name which <laughs> is what happens when a character doesn't get their name shouted out a ton <laughs> yeah. in a movie or is just rather forgettable compared to like the psychotic sister you mean <laughs> um and so he bumps into this guy knocks this guy over and it's beautiful like 80s <laughs> schlocky like monster effects and it's it's like a love letter to that yeah because then the guy's head that just explodes like scanners yeah. uh because it hits the ground and the guy's like you could see his lips move and he's like thank you yeah <laughs> and then psycho gorman's upset because he's like he was my masterpiece <laughs> i love his reactions yeah. <laughs> in this movie um yeah. <clears throat> I have to say, I love this movie so much. Spoilers. So this is just going to be me crowing over how amazing this movie is. Uh, like Richard was referencing, though, um, 
it's all practically done. Like even even the CG bits are done in ways of of um, like in camera scale scaling tricks like that they used with Fellowship of the Ring. It's mm-hmm. so this could have been something that would have come out in 1995. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You could see like the um, effects that they use that even are like CG related. Yeah. Uh, are like I got a lot of feels of um, Power Rangers. This is the Power Rangers kind oh, of thing. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and they, there's one floating head bit where Psycho Gorman is hilariously communicating to the father to get oh, the dad God. to come rescue him. But <laughs> it's done in like a nice, shitty way that it doesn't look too nice compared to the other practical stuff. And it feels like the floating uh, Gor- uh, Gorzon. What's it? Zordon. Zordon. It feels like the floating uh, Zoran head from uh, Power Rangers. So it has that kind of like still like lo-fi sort of feel. Um, the, and I imagine that was probably done in like some kind of CG component. So. I I laughed out loud so hard my head hurt the first time I saw this movie because what's happened is is with Psycho Gorman being uh, activated again, his former lieutenants who all look like Power Rangers villains. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like one of them is just a vat of bloody body, body parts with a machine gun. <laughs> yeah, so um, good. And he, fight his, his, his fight ability, that same creature you're talking about, yeah. is to just squirt blood on Psycho Gorman. <laughs> He's just squirting blood. Just squirting and, blood. <laughs> and for some reason it's causing damage. It's unclear. <laughs> but it, there is just like, hey, we gotta squirt blood. Like this guy's just too cool to not squirt blood on him. Yeah, like they all look like Guar background characters. Yeah. Um so they fight him and he he fights them off and and he's recovering but he's very hurt. Um and <laughs> the 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 thing that consistently still makes me laugh is the dad of the family is who knows about Psycho Gorman and they just act like it's normal or whatever. They're just like, I don't know. Like mm-hmm. they've, the kids have picked up this like insouciant stray, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's taking a shit and then out of nowhere, like this, the audio is silent. And then Psycho Gorman's hallucinatory head comes out and they're screaming and wailing in the background. Yeah. And he just yells at him, find me. <laughs> <laughs> and disappears and the dad who's who's like his his hair is blown back because obviously there's wind coming from it and everything is fucked up he's sideways on the toilet he's like i don't know where you are and psycho gorman comes zooming back in with with directions that like a kid would give him like you go right on 13th and we're a half mile from the big red tree yeah And he's terrified, but he's got to come back again because he's like, what road is that? What do I start from? <laughs> so he's got to come back again and give him directions again. More it's terrifying. Fantastic. Um, the, the, uh... Can we, do we take a moment, though, to pause on the dad and yeah. posit that he's exactly the reason Mimi's probably as fucked up as she is? Because the dad is low-key, low-key messed up. Like, and they, it's obvious, like, they're insinuating that like he's messed up like there's something really wrong with him he's uh his interactions with his wife are like 
borderline like antisocial or just like really construed in a very unhealthy way. Like the parents obviously have a really unhealthy relationship. He's such a piece of shit. And the way he treats uh, his wife is mirrored exactly in the way that Mimi treats her brother. Yeah, it it really is. Uh, Only because Mimi's a child, it's way more outlandish. But like, like he's, he's, low key abusive to to his wife like um emotionally abusive to his yeah. wife like he's um like at the beginning of the film when the kids are digging up the thing they've they've dug down like 12 feet right there's just a giant hole in their backyard um and the wife is like well someone needs to fill it in he's just like yeah luke fill fill it in she's like no he's a child he's going to bed you need to fill this in it's like yeah. oh but my arm <laughs> Yeah, he picks it up, does um, one little shovel movement, and he's like, "Oh my god, my hand!" My hand. Oh, oh no. <laughs> um, there's a scene where he has prepared dinner, and he's it, like, he has microwaved chicken, <laughs> like, not like cooked chicken. Like that's how he has cooked the chicken is yeah. microwaving raw chicken <laughs> to be edible, which. Yeah is not something he can do. Um, and the wife is like, did you like, look at this mess you've left me. And he's like, you're welcome for dinner. Yeah. Look at this beautiful meal that I made for my family. <laughs> also, he's, um, is he also unemployed? Like I got the sense yes. he was unemployed. Yeah. yeah he's, he's, he's on unemployment. Yeah. She and talks his- about how he's, he's hasn't tried to get a job or he can't keep a stable job. Etc., mm-hmm. which would make sense if that's how he behaves with his in family. Yeah, yeah, with his family. Then in a work environment, he's fucking off the chain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, but no, like there, the 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 funny thing about this being such a vile and and violent movie is that it's very much structured like a kids movie mm-hmm. from the nineties. Like it's as if they found a magical dog, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um the the uh are you know you know what it reminds me of is uh there's a movie with i think thora birch and harvey keitel where there's like a like a monkey that's trained to be a thief and it escapes and this little girl takes it over and so now she's got this criminal coming after her to get his monkey back right Mm, yeah um it, it's like one of those movies that would have come out in the, the like early nineties, one of those Disney live action movies. Yeah. Um, and, and uh, yeah, no, like there's, there's just a, a, a sense of childlike wonder in this movie that sounds crazy to say, but like people just kind of roll with things. Um, mm-hmm. Like they, there's, there's a friend of theirs that they're, um, they're making psycho Gorman play Calvin ball. And he turns one of their friends into this tentacled brain monster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this kid goes home and comes back and like, no one's really worried. Like the, the stinger at the end of the movie is like his parents calling him to the dinner table and then him eating a salad with them at the dinner table. This is just giant brain puppet. Yep. And just acting like it's normal. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, uh i i do like one one of the things that that i i like about this um 
just from because it's such a D and D movie. Like the the planet that Psycho Gorman's from is called Gygax. Oh yeah. Um, is is uh, you know the the good guys in this movie are um, indistinguishable from evil. Like they're 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 these uh, what are they the paladins of. Hmm. Pandora is the lady. She anyway, they're they're referred to as paladins and they've they've brought goodness to the universe by subjugating everyone who is not like them. Mm -hmm. Um and like yeah, they're like Psycho Gorman is is gross and like obviously evil, but even if they're lawful good, they're so lawful good that it spins back into being evil. Like to get around on earth, um, the paladin that's, that's searching for him. Um, they just kidnap a woman and then crush her into a little cube of gore and she smears it on herself. And then she turns into the lady, like yeah. just some random woman gets teleported. Into this She's like, where am I? Yeah. <laughs> just a little meat cube and then she just smears it on her and she turns into this lady yeah she like rubs it on her face and like gets bloody all over her lips Uh it's especially gross yeah yeah it's real gross um and then yeah i mean that's pretty much the movie is you know there's this big climactic fight at the end the mom sides with the paladins uh luke sides with the paladins um but everyone comes together in the end and the family is is uh fine in their family unit again um yeah psycho gorman creates the best weapon i've ever seen on screen <laughs> oh yeah yes it's the op it's it's the elevation of beating someone to death with their own arm <laughs> psycho gorman builds a master sword because the uh-huh. the paladin has a master sword and yeah. he builds it out of her own body parts that he's ripped out of her uh-huh. So like he rips out like a, a rib, he rips out like another like bone structure, he rips off one of her both of her horns, yep. and then he like beats her to death with it, basically. <laughs> um He does another thing that's the ending, but I'll save that in case somebody wants to see it. Uh, how he actually vanquishes her. Which is how you vanquish all worthy foes in battle. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, I, I have um... to say the first time he did that. On the it's it's so over the top gory that I just yelled oh my god and then I laughed because I was like I was like wow that is so unnecessary and two they would have spent so much of their budget and time just for that one scene but then I was disappointed when it wasn't as much detail later on in the movie yeah when he had her and I was like okay I get it you shot your load on that first scene. Yeah, we're just gonna. We've already have that now. This is just implied off camera. So yeah, I mean, it's it's um yeah, like they have to cut costs here and there. Um, I still think that this looks like a fantastic movie though. Like it's it, it's um it does such a good job of capturing the the um, the feel of those kids movies, but making it accessible to a, a horror fiend like myself. <laughs> Yeah, there's a real uh, genre clash. Yeah, that's at the central like heart of the movie between that kids narrative, like finding like a puppy or like a creature, or 
in kids movies when they find like a dog that can talk or something like that you know yeah um and, and the government's after them oh no yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. the dog escaped from like some secret research facility and you know we get the zany wackiness of that initial interaction and then it also spirals from there because they know the government arrives and here it's these paladins from uh you know like you were saying a lawful good so lawful good but their good is this good like in serving their own you know their own gods and etc and their own gods demand temples to be made yeah and the temples can only be made if you subjugate the people um in order to like toil away um there's so many interesting uh world bits that were um always strike you as unnecessary but unnecessary in the sense that they weren't needed to tell the story but they do enrich the world that uh that's being lived in like psycho gorman having to um he's describing his initial uh ability to gain these powers and whatnot that he has and then you see where he's toiling away on the earth and he's mining and there's you supposed to see them digging and stuff and whatnot but part of their mining is just like hacking away at tentacles that that are like flapping around (laughs) in the ground and it's like this is totally unnecessary but really interesting that you're doing it regardless um so the world has a lot of color like that little color touches one of my favorite bits too though about the world building is usually psycho gorman will will be doing a villainous monologue and he'll be like pontificating on on uh on his life and how he got here and it'll start with some very verbose like i was riding the demon crest for the for the horror horror demon uh and blah 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 blah. and I wanted to see more of that ship. That ship was uh, yeah, badass. Yeah, I wanted to see more of the <laughs> ship, too. And then Mimi or Luke or, or one of the kids or, or one of the parents will be like, yeah, yeah, yeah no one cares. Like, uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, wait, no, go back. Exactly. I was like, don't need to rewind to see this awesome, like, Guar vehicle he's on. It's, yeah, no, it's it's awesome. I love this movie so much. It um, There's also a, a hilarious... Um, yeah, like they 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 do that a series of times where where he will start in this this very weird description of something that's um really really cool and would really add to the world and I really want to see it and it's very spell jammery and then then just get interrupted, right? And mm-hmm. um yeah, no, like I one of the funniest interactions I think is when the the kids are setting him up when they've they first uh, um, captured him and they're setting him up and um, Mimi goes, um, yeah, here's here's uh, food and some water and then some magazines so you can look at hunky boys and his I don't care for hunky boys or do I? <laughs> it takes a moment to consider the picture and he's like. Or do I? Or do I? <laughs> it's but great. That My... comes in later, though, because then he he delivers the killer blow, right? I don't know yeah. how much we want to talk about the movie, but we're reviewing it. You can I watch mean, it. Yeah. So <laughs> his war cry, you know, it's uh, he's fighting this lady. He's obviously very tired. He gets his power kind of back up. And so the magazine is all torn up amidst the battle. 
And of course, it's on the same page with the hunky boy. And so he looks at it and he's like, four hunky boys. <laughs> my, <Or> my, <laughs> something like four my hunky boys, but it, it's a great scene. My hunky boys. <laughs> yeah. My, my wife one year got me a, a, a birthday card that was just... Like it's from Etsy, so it's one of those like line, like artistic line drawings of of uh, Psycho Gorman, and you open it up, or it, it says like I don't care for hunky boys, and you open it up, and it says or do I? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, that's great. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, the, the wild Psycho Gorman stuff on Etsy. Um, for God, sure. What else is hilarious about this movie? The um, oh when the uh, after he turns their friend into a brain monster and the police come up and are like, what are you doing? Did you notice that in that scene, when they're making him look human, he's dressed up like Alan Grant from Jurassic Park. No, but that's perfect. <laughs> he's exactly. wearing a blue <laughs> denim shirt with a red neckerchief and a hat and sunglasses yeah. and khakis. Yeah. That's a hundred percent right on there. Yeah. It's, yeah. He's well, like... also, it also plays into the fact that Alan Grant's character and Jurassic Park hates kids, supposedly. Yep. He starts yep. off hating kids, but then he develops a, like a relationship with them. Exactly. You know, yeah. Conflict. So it's a perfect <laughs> like callback to that from like a film perspective. Yeah. Ex yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, there's there, there's uh, cops that that come and he takes care of them no problem and Alistair doesn't or can't play Calvin ball anymore. So he enslaves one of the cops whose skin he's melted off and turned into a mindless zombie to, uh, to play Calvin ball with him. And he fuses his gun to his hand. Well, the kids don't like this and they, they want to go home or whatever. And so this zombie is just following them, trying to shoot himself, but he can't. Yeah. yeah. And he, he passes uh, Mimi a note. that's like a Valentine's day card or something. She opens it up. It says, please kill me. <laughs> and Mimi's response is like, oh my gosh, I told you to write a note that just said that you loved me and I was amazing. Uh, <laughs> and you, you wasted this perfectly good card, which all comes back to her dad's behavior as well. Yeah. Yeah. When then like everything's focused on him. Like it's all just about him and how are the people are relating him or treating him bad. And Mimi does a lot of the same thing. Um, as well eventually they get a little redemption arc at the end with their relationship empathy with luke and whatnot with uh with her dad but you know yeah. they obviously unless they change largely as characters this is still just going to be a thing for them so. yeah yeah well and and um there there's a bit that i i quite liked where um psycho gorman is just Mimi has him sleeping in her room and he doesn't need sleep. So he's just sitting in the corner, staring at her and growling mm -hmm. <laughs> the entire time. Yeah. Um, he starts visiting Luke in his dreams. He, he crosses the nightmare bridge um, mm -hmm. and has a conversation with Luke about betraying Mimi to give, give him the amulet so he can be free. Um, and Luke's dream is he's in his bed, but he's surrounded by these zombies that are slowly coming out of the ground. Mm -hmm. um, and Luke says, you know, no. And, and the conversation kind of ends and, and psycho Gorman is still sitting on the foot of his bed and these zombies are slowly coming up. And he's like, well, what do we do now? And he goes, well, I have to wait till the nightmare is over. 
<laughs> wait till you're done sleeping. Yeah. Wait till you wake up. Um, the uh, the ending it uh, of of uh, you know finally like in all kids movies, Psycho Gorman gets free, and um, he's learned the power of love through and, and friendship from this family. Um, and Mimi gets a promise from him not to hurt or destroy her family. Right? I think it's mm-hmm. Luke, one of the kids. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, he agrees to it, and he blows himself up, or teleports away, blows himself up, and then just starts wreaking havoc on the planet, just tearing down cities. And the dad is like, probably should have said something about not not attacking the Earth, huh? Yeah. What about everybody else? Or, or what about everyone else? Or yeah. And maybe he's like, oh, <laughs> you know. Because that's how she is, you know. It's just what what relates to her. Also, mm-hmm. it it pokes fun at the, uh, you know, things being about love or about like connection. When in fact, like how vacuous a a message that is, because he's still just destroying the rest of the world. Yeah, which is like full of other families and people and et cetera. So, <laughs> what does that even mean? It's meaningless, you know. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and so it, it, I think it it pokes fun at that as well. So yeah. Yeah, no. All, all in all, I, that's that's it. That, that was me talking about my favorite things about this movie. It's fantastic. Everyone should watch it. Now, Even I have, small children. <laughs> I have to say, you really have to give this movie a couple minutes. Yeah. Uh, like you got to get past, well into like the first act, closing to like the second act. Because I feel like initially, even if you're familiar with, like you watch the trailer, okay, what is this trying to do? Yeah. The movie hasn't really um, mixed all the genres together to the kind <laughs> of formula that they're going for. Yeah. Uh, the acting, and I was talking with my wife, the acting between Mimi's actor and Luke was odd to see because for the production, for like their age, for like I'm sure like the amount of like cuts and like, uh, you know, re-edits um, they were able to do. Um, Because you can obviously see when, like, cuts are put together. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I was telling my wife it was an odd experience initially watching them because they're the only dynamic we get to see because at this point, Psycho Gorman isn't, like, very well developed. I mean, he's not really there. Yeah. So the more outlandish elements of the story haven't incorporated themselves yet. So it's like Mimi's character and Luke's character, each one of them is competent uh, in their acting ability. Um, and they're they're both individually like Luke's character. He communicates well. Mimi's character, you get what she's going for, but it's almost like they are communicating in like two different movies, or they're communicating like yeah, they don't work well together um, because it doesn't seem the way Mimi responds to thing and interacts. It's so off the wall. That it's like she's not even really responding to what Luke is doing. Yeah. Uh, and Luke is just like playing it straight as the straight man, I guess you could right. say, to borrow a term. But it's it feels disjointed. It's almost like you're watching like Luke playing off a scene with someone else that isn't Mimi. And then Mimi is playing off a scene that isn't someone else. Like if Mimi was paired with her dad in those scenes and they were both kind of zany and wacky, then you could see where they're pulling off of each other's energy. Right. Yeah. But it's like, they have two different energy cycles 
And that ends up just being a, a part of the characterization of their individual characters in the central conflict later on. But initially it, it doesn't, it doesn't feel smooth because it isn't like you have these two very different characters. Um, and then you have uh, the movie just kind of developing. So you don't get the sense, at least for me as a viewer, if that's really intentional um, or if it's accidental, like due to the writing or what, what's going on here, because they're so, they're so disjointed, you know, yeah. like they're playing and then she's like, yeah, I'm going to dig your grave. Um, and then she has, she throws away his like homework. Uh, when they reach the, uh, the place, she obviously has a really <laughs> weird fixation on Alistair. Yeah. Uh, the friend. So it just, the tonal wise, it's just, Oh, this is just weird, you know? And so you're not quite understanding, uh, okay, what is this movie going for at that point? In time? I, so you got to give it a little it's bit intentional. No, no, of course it's intentional. Yeah. But from a viewer perspective, you can't get up on that. Oh, I see what you're saying. So yeah, you yeah. have the rest of like what this movie is trying to do and what's it trying to communicate. Right. Um, so it doesn't, it doesn't gel well until you have like, oh, well this, this whole movie is just wacky and crazy like this. And so that initial setting of tone, you're watching it like you would watch like uh, uh, an earbud or et cetera, where you have the interaction between this, uh, this girl and her brother. And it just doesn't make sense, you know? Right. But then when you bring that within the context of the rest of the movie, like it doesn't fit the earbud mold, but we haven't been shown anything else other than that initial kid interaction where they're <laughs> playing around they're digging a hole, even though that hole digging thing is really weird. And so is this game is really weird. So it's just a little bit off rather than it just being like showing you, oh, yeah, we're way out there. Like, yeah. And so then it balances well within the rest of the movie. So you'd see it on a rewatch and you'd understand more Mimi's character, Luke's character, because you know kind of what they're setting up, like the level of outlandishness. So it doesn't, what I'm trying to say is that those elements of like the Airbud or even like uh, another kids movie, it it's obviously stands out from that in a way that's really um, off putting or not really off putting, but it yeah. it's outside of expectations. So you don't really know what it's intending until you see like, oh, this is the genre mash that we're having. Yeah. yeah. So that was a long way of saying just give the movie a couple minutes before. Yeah. It, yeah, you you kind of have to sit with it and kind of kind of just just follow it along. <laughs> I think by the time for me, the time you get to that council where the paladin is talking at, and you see all these like characters, yeah. um, and you see like the paladin with her really weird like eye coverings and like her face makeup that yeah. has joints. Once you get to that interaction, I was like, oh, okay, I know exactly what's happening here. <laughs> yeah. Like I know what they're doing. I know how they're setting this up. I know yeah. the tone they're going for. Um, and so my expectations adjusted to what their tone was going for. Uh, rather than like, I didn't know kind of what tone we're going for. Uh, and so I kept on, my expectations were like a little bit, like I'm still just trying to interact with this, be like, okay, what's going on here? And so then you have the like some of the first horror segments uh, where Psycho Gorman starts appearing. And then you see him do his outlandish things where he has like this arm and foot hand shrine that he's created <laughs> on the wall. And I just, I lulled uh, with my wife there. Cause I'm like, yeah, okay. I get it. I know what you're doing now. You know? Yeah. 
I know exactly what you're going for. So yeah, you got to give it some time before it gets there, before you you catch pace with the movie. You know. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like riffing off of someone else that you just met, but you're not really sure of their speed just yet. But then once right. you get to their speed, you're like, oh, okay, I got this. I know where you're coming from. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I will say one of the things in this is there is a lot of dark gallows humor in this in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you don't like that, you probably will not enjoy this movie. Yeah. Um, like the the last scene is um, that Galactic Council going, well, shit, he's coming our way. What do we do? And one of them just straight up pulls out like a three fifty seven and puts it on the table and goes, "Who's first? Yeah, who's first? <laughs> But it's like it's not some random alien space weapon. It's literally like a three fifty seven that you would get at the hunting store down yeah. the road or whatever. Yeah, it's like they they uh, didn't want to like create another outlandish alien prop, so they're like, okay, we got this from the prop department. It's <laughs> here's just a revolver. Yeah, here's a revolver. It's funny. We're gonna go with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah um yeah so it, it sounds like this is a thumbs up from both of us <laughs> yeah thumbs up with give it give it some time yeah. uh yeah if you're not if not as forgiving a viewer as zach is on watching something <laughs> like myself give it some time before it gets to where where it's trying to show you it's goods so, you know you yeah. gotta wait till and this is a consensual situation here i'll pause it yeah. before it unzips its fly you gotta wait till it unzips its fly <laughs> Shows you what it's working with. Again, that's an, a consensual encounter yeah. in that regard. But yeah, you got to wait for that. Um, and then you get an idea of what's going on. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the uh, book club book is uh, Childhood's End by Arthur C. Clarke. Um, and the next next episode with us, we'll be talking about George Romero's Night Riders. Mm-hmm. That's Knight Riders, all one word, with a K. Um, it's generally about bikers in Ren Fair. Yeah. <laughs> and not, not Psycho Gorman in the Knight Riders, like I was initially thinking. Yeah, that I mean, that is that is a badass uh, band name, though. Yeah. Psycho Gorman and the Knight Riders. Yeah, that sounds amazing. <laughs> also, I feel like this character and setup would, could work in that universe as well. Um, yeah, I can together. see it. I can see yeah. it. <laughs> yep. Um, so with that, we'll we'll see you guys next time. Uh, bye. All right. Bye bye.